Welcome to another episode of Friendly Shadows. Today in the shadows, we have Brady Joe. Well, hello, and welcome to the Friendly Shadows, Brady Joe. For folks that don't know, Brady Joe and I collaborated on a bunch of songs last year. It came out uh, 2022. I wanted to have him on the show, have him talk about himself, and have him on an, a semi-regular basis to get his views on certain mixes and certain sounds. And, and so today we're just going to get to know each other a little bit i know brady joe but you don't know brady joe so brady joe without further ado how you doing man i'm doing pretty good man i feel good life is uh life is a beautiful thing man here in new york city you know uh no snow which has been you know <laughs> i'll take a, a nice mild new york winter any day man you know uh, life is great man life is great that's great I'll- how did you come how did you come by me? What where I got a text out of the blue. Why? What what compelled you to do that? Well, you know, honestly, it's kind of like what we were talking a bit, you know, right before we we went on air is uh I'm just really just a fan of music, man. And it doesn't matter the genre or style or whatever. When I when I come across something that is just like magnetic like just has that certain type of vibration or frequency or vibe or whatever you want to call it i tend to gravitate towards it you know and 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 for you you came across on my radar probably because you're you're, you had an amassed a a nice big twitter following and i think that kind of pulled me into your orbit man you know and it was kind of like the gravitational pull of the kintness i couldn't refuse it i mean you tracked the beam (laughs) and uh and i just really i really felt you know what you guys were doing because it it it's not commercialized it's not anything like you're 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 trying to you know manufacture a sound that you think people are going to like you're just making stuff that that speaks from your soul you know and for me i i see that right away and that just that 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 pulled me in man and i was like yo let me let me see if i can add on to what they're doing because i felt like you you guys were doing something special and if i can add on to it you know Maybe we can take it a little higher. For folks that don't know, we made an album and uh, Brady is largely responsible for how that album sounds as uh, from a mixing and production uh, perspective. And uh, we're just real glad to know him. We're going to take it back. Uh, I want to know where you're from and what it sounded like, the sounds that you heard growing up both in the house and outside of the house? Well, you know, most people don't know. I've been in New York, you know, more than half my life now. I came out here when I was 18 to go to audio engineering school and um, never been a type of a studious type of person. Although now I'm, I'm a huge fan of books, you know, books. There's so much power and magic in books, man. I mean, it's they're a beautiful thing. But uh, yeah, for me, you know, growing up in Utah is where I'm from. Salt Lake City and, you know, loving household. I come from a family of of musicians. 
goes back generations. You know, my mom's classically trained, you know, a opera singer. And she would do, you know, voice and piano lessons in my, my house every day, many hours of the day. So it was kind of like I was just getting this frequency of just do re mi fa so la ti do do ti la so fa mi re do all day long every day and you know i didn't truly appreciate it until i reached you know maybe 14 or 15 and that's when i started you know making my own records you know mom had a little karaoke tape machine so i would uh i'd take an instrumental of some rap song and then i'd you know take someone else's rap and kind of make it custom to my own life and kind of make my own rap out of their rap and that was really when I started, man. And that was like 14 or 15. And now I'm 30, about to be 38 here in March. And man, it, it hasn't stopped this uh, this passion of music, you know. And so for me, that was kind of my driving force of my being from early on. You know, uh, they tried to push piano lessons on me at like five. Didn't like it. The only thing I remember is Ode to Joy. They tried to push drum lessons on me in the sixth grade didn't like it because you're reading notes off of a page i mean how boring is that stuff nobody ever told me when i was a kid hey make up something that you might like why don't you create something so it took me until about 14 15 to where i really gravitated towards music but i've always loved music you know and i'm sure you can relate to that i mean the 90s early 90s we had some of the greatest you know records being made across the board man whether it's punk or or Americana or alternative, whatever you want to call it, or, or hip hop. I mean, just great, great groundbreaking stuff, man. Would you agree? Oh yeah, totally. You know, I was just thinking about um, making your first records out of a karaoke machine, doing your own rap on top of other people's raps. And that is like so junior high for me. Yeah, Junior high. Yep gosh making people tapes uh yeah, that, and there's some high. tapes floating out there man there's some <laughs> tapes out there a brady joe back then i called myself i think it was b shady you know? <laughs> you know eminem was big when i was like 14 or 15 with his first record you know so we was caught up in that kind of stuff you know but but you know now that we're older we've uh, obviously we've evolved and, and matured and and all the things we do but but yeah man uh, there's definitely some tapes out there somebody's got one i think my one friend said yo if you ever hit it big i got your tape man i got your tape <laughs> <laughs> i tried to get him back honestly <laughs> who knows what i was rapping about oh my god oh man but uh, what led you down the rap uh rabbit hole who 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 or what sounds first made you open those doors and go down that hole i mean that's that's a great question man you know funny story is uh i think it was around fifth grade or sixth grade you know and back then we had walkmans this was still cassette you know what i mean like I'm only like, what, nine or 10, maybe, or maybe 11 or 12. I don't, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, what age. But I would sneak a headphone cable up the sleeve of my shirt. And the Walkman was inside. I don't know if I hooked it on my waistband or my jacket. I forget how I did it. But while I'm in class, this is how I didn't learn anything in school. In one of my ears, I'd keep a palm over my ear and I'd have my headphone in during class. 
this is fifth or sixth grade and I got easy E boys in the hood, you know, mostly West coast stuff because I'm in Utah. We're like two States from, from Cali. So regional back then was what most music was like, whatever region you're in, that's the frequency you're getting beamed on your FM radio and your, your local magazines. It's, it's all regional. So for me, it was like NWA, Easy E. You know, that was like the number one stuff that I, I would listen to. Um, and luckily, my brother, I have an older brother. He was into um, he had a friend who was into East Coast hip hop. So none of my friends in Utah knew about anything on the East Coast because it wasn't promoted over there. So they didn't know. So I would be bringing in Wu-Tang Clan, Capone and Noriega. You know, I'd, Biggie, I mean, Biggie kind of crossed, but not really. Like, I'd bring in these guys that were just monsters in hip-hop, you know, very, very talented people, and they had never heard them. So I kind of, you know, thankfully I had an older brother who could kind of put me on to, you know, the both spectrums of the music. And that kind of stuff is really what took prevalence, even though I would listen to Korn, um, Nirvana, and even, you know, believe it or not, as a little kid, I'd like the Eagles. Life in the fast lane. Like, I traded my friend for that CD. Again, Bone Thugs and Harmony for the Eagles. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I crossed all spectrums as a kid, man. And and, and that was beautiful because that's what I think set the, the, the palette for me being able to create many different genres. Because I just don't make, you know, hip-hop or folk or country or rock or blues. And, you know, I, I kind of am a hodgepodge of everything. And, and that's been my benefit and also my uh detriment because nobody wants to go to a a fusion house for some weird food that they've never encountered you know and i feel like art a lot of times as far as music is concerned people like to consume genres because that's what the machine has put in front of us you know I wanted to continue with what you were talking about genres and and i like what you're doing lately the, the music that i've heard from you lately and that uh, rather than make uh, a rap song or um a rock song you're making like um rock songs with rap beats and elements um or rap songs with um rock beats or elements so instead of making two songs you're just putting these genres all into one and i really like that i really love that uh, uh about uh what you're doing uh, is that is that a uh, on purpose it's not really intentional i mean yes and no you know it's 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 purpose is a tough is a tough thing because it is and it isn't intent and non-intent ultimately I feel like Lauren Hill, the record she did, they won all those Grammys, and she only did one. She made one record. You know, I think it's called The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And basically, to me, she took the hip-hop thing that was happening at the time. She incorporated a little bit of the turntablism, a little bit of the DJ stuff with the chukka chukkas, which I love. I think you, you can't, you know, that that is itself an instrument, the turntable. 
So she incorporated the hip hop drums, a little bit of the turntable, and then she incorporated soul. She'd bring in live musicians like John Legend. People probably don't know. John Stevens is his name. He played piano on the record. He was a nobody. He played piano on a Lauryn Hill record that won many, many Grammys. And that was kind of where he got his start. But the whole point is, I feel like that record was was like the apex at the time. And what, st- what stands out to me is nobody really did that after. I'm like, she created a whole thing with this and nobody did it. Amy Winehouse, I used to call her Lauryn Hill early on because I was like, yo, she sounded like Lauryn Hill ripoff. But ultimately, I appreciate her magnitude and her greatness now. You know, I, I can see it now. But she kind of added on to what Lauren did. And that's basically incorporating, you know, R&B and singing, not in just a straight R&B flow, but incorporating it with a little bit of other elements of soul music and then throwing a little bit of hip hop in there. And that, you know, concoction of all those different elements to me is is is, is magic, man. And so I've never kind of only liked one thing. So I kind of wanted to do, I'm like, yo, I can write this singer-songwriter record. I can make it sound in any type of genre. Why don't I make, why don't I take the elements that I like and put them in? I like heavy, crisp drums. I like, you know, guitar solos. I like horns. I like, you know, singers. And I like a guy to kick a, kick a 16-bar rap. And that's kind of how that stuff has started to formulate. You know, that's really what it is. Kudos for pulling it off because it, it's it what it is. It is is a smooth. Um, uh, I don't know. It's hard to categorize, but it's smooth. Yeah, that's the it, problem. That's that's the problem, man. Well, it's smooth, <laughs> but it's smooth, and a lot of people would like it. A lot of people would like it. Uh, yeah, but we, you know, we we live in a playlist era, man. So even with my Keith Murray record, there was a similar thing. You know, they're like, ah, it's not enough hip hop to be in the hip hop playlist. It's not enough uh, singer songwriter to be in the singer songwriter playlist. It doesn't really fit in most digestive tracks. You know what I mean? Like most lanes, it just kind of I'm cover- I'm all over the road. So it doesn't really it's hard to compartmentalize, which in today's day and age is very tricky because most people just do what is expected of that style. We are all slaves to the algorithm. I understand. Yeah. I understand. I'm, I'm just saying you've created something pleasant, a a pleasant, pleasant sound to groove to. I love that, man. That's, that's the goal. You know, you think you do it for, you know, 20 years professionally, you better be doing something right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, one other thing, too, is I've thought about and I don't know if this has ever occurred to you is to take one song you write. Right. You got your chords, you got your lyrics, you got your melody and make different versions of it. I've thought about making one song, a reggae version and then making a rock version and then making uh, a, a jazz version or, or a country version or folk version. Because like, really, you can take the same song and just cover yourself many different times, man. I mean, I can make a song in any style if I really want to. Yeah, I, uh, in fact, just recently, I've gone from doing them different styles 
myself to getting people to cover them. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. I've, I've tried to pitch records to artists and be like, yo, you should sing this song. It would do you well. And then they don't listen and then their career flops. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if it would have helped, but maybe you should have tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been really, really lucky. Uh, uh, I've got one with Dan Cross coming and a, a few more I can't talk about yet coming. But um, I've well, been... you're, a, you're a hell of a songwriter, Kelly, just like, you know, me doing engineering and producing, you know, for 20 years. You're a hell of a songwriter. I know. You, I know you got a couple decades under your belt of honing your craft. So you know your work speaks for itself, man. You know, kudos <laughs> to you. Uh, I, I just want to hug you, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, come on up in the uh, the metaverse. We most likely will be doing these uh, where hey, I can reach out and shake your hand. You know, give you a pound. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, one thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we got off of here was uh, what are you doing now? How are you doing? What's going on? What's going on with Brady? What do you want? Is there anything you want to push? Any place you want people to go? Um, anything like that? What's what's going on? I mean, we got a ton of records coming out, man. A ton of stuff in the works. A lot of stuff in the pipeline. Um you know, I'm just trying to, to to decide what is the most prevalent thing to put out. You know, I got a record, uh, Purple Majesties coming out. Uh, it's a kind of Beatles kind of vibe, retro thing. I think you, I sent it to you once. You said kind of George Harrison-esque. Um, we got the Rascast record coming out, which is more of that hip hop, you know, R&B rock, Lauryn Hill kind of stuff. That a record will be good. Um, just a lot of stuff, man. A lot of records coming out. Just, you know doing the final touches and the final tweaks you know you can check me out at funkality f-u-n-k-a-l-i-t-y or brady joe those are my two uh two machines and i highly suggest you guys do uh especially the shalimar uh song with uh uh keith, keith murray, murray. Keith that was murray. nice that was a good one yeah, uh, that's one of the more recent ones. It's one of my faves. Uh, it is. It came out really good, man. I uh, highly recommend, you know, Abbey Road Mastering, Alex Wharton over there. He makes my stuff, you know, multidimensional, man. His his mastering mixes are, are phenomenal. Can't, can't give him enough praise. Alex Wharton, Abbey Roads. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Brady, I hope to have you back for some countdown time. I think we should put, I think you and I should put some countdown material together and go through a countdown or two. Absolutely, man. There's so many things we could talk about, man. We could talk, uh, we could talk all day over here, man. I love talking to you. All right, man. Well, good deal. Well, we're going to go ahead and call it for today. And then, uh, I got to talk to, I'm going to go talk to Steve McGrady, uh, in Cambridge. Uh, who has put out an album. So very pretty, cool. Pretty excited. But anyways, awesome. it was good to talk to you. I'm going to go ahead and hit the record button again. All right. Great. Talking to Brady Joe as always. And next up, Kelly heads to Cambridge to talk to Steve McGrady.
today. We're here with Steve McGrady, who has just put out a three-song single with Creative Reader. Uh, I listened to this a few times this morning. Um, and I just got to say, Steve, uh, what's your problem with drums? <laughs> yeah, I hate drums. <laughs> For those that don't know, for those that don't know, Steve and I have collaborated uh, before as the Dark House Moonlighters, um, a cover band to raise money for children in the Ukraine, and uh, we're friends. So uh, this will be a jovial interview. Steve, it is really <laughs> good to talk to you. Uh, you know, we've we have we have texted. Uh, a lot a lot over the past year we, uh back and forth we have and uh and i just gotta say it's good to hear your voice man good to hear you yeah this is different isn't it this is real time <laughs> and i never knew you were an american this is weird you've got an <laughs> accent and everything <laughs> all this stuff you don't realize when you're just using text <laughs> oh i'm kidding i was listening to those three songs this morning that you put out can you say the names of them because i don't have them in front of me yeah so the, there's the first one's called walking away uh and then the middle one of the three is called acid rain cheery little number uh and then um the last one the long one is called uh there once was a girl. The first two are really quite short. Um, so it kind of, it, it, I think it's billed on iTunes and Skype and Apple Music and Amazon and YouTube and other services are available um, as a single. And that's probably about right. Right. All three songs are only nine minutes. Yeah, it's 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 not a lot of value for your money, really, is it? But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. When when I was first writing songs um, and recording them, I, I never quite, I could never work out how to get something under four and a half minutes. Everything just seemed to go on forever. Uh, and, and now I seem to be getting better at writing economically. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm heading back to the 1950s, I think, you know, the two minute single, one minute, 50 seconds, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I have no idea, but I have a theory that um, at any point in time, when even, you know, you've written your first song and you think it's amazing. Um, and then you kind of look back and you think, well, maybe it could have been better. <laughs> so I think that we, we all kind of... Um, we develop, don't we? And, and we learn and, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of it. You become more economical or maybe we have less to say. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? The, it's a mystery. <laughs> I really want to talk about the acid rain song. Can we just skip to that? Sure. I love that song. I love that song. Uh, All right. All I right. love how uh, dark it is and, and, um, and my stepmom, uh, one time, wanted me to write a song for her called Acid Rain. And Really? Yeah, and I'm going to show that to her later when she gets up. And like, look, we, I didn't have to do it. Somebody already did it. 
<laughs> well, I didn't do it. You see, that was uh, that was Cecilia. Uh, she wrote the lyric, and um, uh, I think that was actually the first one I recorded, if I remember rightly. It's it's hard to remember because this project's been going on for a, off and on for a year or so, and um, uh, you know, with uh, Dark House Moonlighters came along in in that, and uh, I was working on my album, and then there was the Light Light and Lines Album Writing Club last May. Uh, so there's been a lot of different diversions and things uh, en route. But, um, yeah, I think that was the first one. And uh, I think the darkness appealed to me because I always think I quite I, I write dark, depressing lyrics. And I thought, wow, she's done better than I have here. This is very dark. And, um, yeah, so it, it it's, it's interesting. It's the first time that I've taken somebody else's lyric uh, and put music to it. And uh, that was a, an interesting exercise. How did you, you how did you two meet up? Oh, yeah, I've done it. I'll uh, uh, I'm doing it right now, in fact, with a Mikey J collaboration where we're making no, 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 no. What we're doing is we're making lyrics for his music. Let's see. Have ah. I have I sing? Oh, yes. For a Christmas song, I sang uh and made an arrangement for um oh, what was the name of that song i can't remember it was it was a christmas song uh philip thomas wrote it ah i remember uh is it yeah last christmas or the christmas before yeah. I, I remember no, you working no on kiss that. under the mistletoe is what uh, it was called yeah one of many christmas songs you've done now <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, tell me how you you in Creative Reader because she create for those that don't know Creative Reader uh, wrote the lyrics uh, and Steve did all the music uh, to this um, to these three songs here. Uh, so I want you to talk about how you two met. Um, I'm not sure I can remember so creative reader is a bit like uh you uh and mikey j and um rosa limo and uh, susie wall and you know all these other people um so these are all kind of musical connections that have been made virtually through probably mostly twitter i think maybe instagram more recently um and i think she must have said um is anybody interested in a collaboration or are you interested in a collaboration i can't remember exactly um and i said i i was kind of intrigued by this acid rain poem as it was at the time uh, it was just a, a a word thing and um we had a sort of a virtual chat i've never spoken to her in person we've only ever texted and you know communicated in in messages um yeah so i said i'd be interested in putting trying to set it to music and she said but you write your own lyrics so you know why do you why do you want to do that and i said well kind of intriguing it's it's stuff i would never have written um and yeah it's it's interesting because it, it 
having somebody else's words kind of made me think of different musical ideas and uh you know the arrangement is something i would never have come up with probably for one of my own um and it 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 kind of fits in a way because my my approach is 90 percent lyrics first i know a lot of people are music first um i have tried doing music first and and i i, I can do it but i tend to be word driven so it, it sort of felt comfortable just to take her words and and set it to music you know uh i've known her for years back when we were twitter babies um, <laughs> you know and it's it's nice to see her it's nice to hear her creative voice you know because her name's creative reader uh online and and uh it's nice to finally see some of her creation come out you know i, I think it's really cool uh, yeah it, it's it's nerve-wracking i don't know what what your experience of this kind of collaborative stuff is but uh, you know i i took her words which obviously meant something to her um and then when you set them to music all of a sudden you think oh i wonder if she'll like this 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 might not be how it sounded in her head um so the the initial decision to send a demo and say what do you think uh was quite a hard hard call to make because you kind of think taking somebody else's work and now you're kind of interfering with it um so yeah <laughs> you know i i don't even think about that anymore uh i mean i remember thinking about that um but now it's just like a job i mean i it's just i do it i send people tracks all day that's just what i do and i don't i don't even think about it anymore yeah yeah i know when you you know when you did bits for my album you I'd sort of send a a partial tracked track over and you'd send like 10 guitar parts and you'd say use the ones you want i go yeah fine cool <laughs> bit of this won't use that one so much i'll have that one in the background i'll just fade this one in on the core uh so yeah yeah uh, yeah i seem to remember you were just like yeah have all these all these parts whatever you want acoustic electric distorted clean you take it all <laughs> you know very nice who taught me to record uh guitar tracks and layers like that was um uh, Jason Brown on the album he came in for the song had like a few notes written on the palm of his hand wow and laid down like 14 guitar layers that mostly all went on the album and uh in in like less than an hour uh and so uh ever since then i was like you know whenever i'm gonna do guitar tracks i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna send a ton of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's it's um so yeah i find this intriguing right so there's kind of the phil specter wall of sound you know brian wilson where you just throw lots of stuff into the mix um but also there's the less is more school where 
you know, it's all about the space and leaving air for stuff to breathe. And I haven't quite figured out why one approach works in certain situations and the other approach works in, in, in others. But um, I do do both. You know, I've got tracks that have got very dense mixes with lots and lots of elements and then other ones that are very spare and um i guess it must be down to the song and the mood that you're trying to to set but um yeah you gather i don't really know a lot about what i'm talking about here this is all just me kind of figuring stuff out as i go along you you know that they are both valid approaches and i use them both um but what i think and my theory is is that a good song can take whatever you throw at it and and so if you've got a good song on your hands and you want to get together with the buddies why not just have a party with it you know and well uh, and you know i don't i don't want to make it sound like i may have heard a preview of something that's coming soon but you may have a song that's vaguely to do with rivers and crossing them and um you know i remember your demo and that was quite spare. Uh, and I think the treatment that you're now about to release on the world soon uh, is much more in the lots of layers and dense and quite a lot of noise and distortion school. Uh, and, and like you say, both work, both are valid, both um, the song can take it. So, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I I don't think uh this will be out until Monday. Oh, after the after the song. Maybe after the song. We'll see. I got a video for the song this morning, so we'll see. Hopefully. Uh, well, maybe maybe I should redo that section then and just say that song you've just released. <laughs> I heard an earlier version. <laughs> The released one that's out now is is quite dense, but the, that earlier demo was quite spare. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I'm playing both versions of the podcast. <laughs> oh, peeking behind the curtain. This is how it all works. Did you grow up where you live now? What 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 were some some of the sounds you were hearing and absorbing and transforming into your own music? Hmm. Um. Well, when I was two or three, I can't remember exactly because it's very vague. My uh, <laughs> my grandparents had a what was called a radiogram, which was this massive wooden piece of furniture, uh, and it had a a valve or a tube radio in it uh, and it had a, a record player that only played 78 shellac discs so this is in the days before vinyl when they bought that and um, I apparently responded to uh, 
I think it must have been like an old folky gospel song called Old Time Religion, which there are many, many versions of out there. Um, and this was in Scotland, and <clears throat> the, the version they had was a, a skiffle band, which was a 1950s kind of thing um, over here in the UK, from, uh, but they were based in Glasgow, uh, called the Clyde Valley Stompers. So this was a, a kind of, Skiffle was a sort of a London phenomenon, so it had been transplanted up to Glasgow. And uh, the song was, you know, an American or spiritual, I guess, song. Um, so it's kind of a weird... Anyway, that apparently that, I, that was the one, you know, of all their different Glenn Miller records and what have you. Um, that, that was the one that kind of floated my boat and I used to demand got played again and again and again and again. So that, that was where it, that's where it all started. Uh, but yeah, so as a kid, I mean, you know, the, the, the thing I remember at my advanced age was um, for, you know, five years old, something like that. Uh, just this phenomenon that was the Beatles. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to explain um, that, you know, at, at that age when, when music really probably isn't that prominent in your experience, this, this thing just, I mean, I was going to um, what we called nursery school, which is, you know, kind of four years old, five years old uh, preschool kind of thing. And I had, um, what I called my Beatle guitar. I mean, it was, it was built as a Beatle guitar. It was actually a ukulele, really. It was a four-string nylon string thing. <laughs> and it had a stenciled kind of ink pictures of the four of them on, on, the, uh, on the body of it. And I had a plastic um, Beatle wig. <laughs> uh, five years old. I mean, you know, that's how strong that was in the culture. I mean, just out of this world uh so that was you know that was that and then um lots of pop music and stuff in the 60s i seem to remember at one stage i was very big on a band called dave d dozy beaky mick and titch who uh, i don't know if they ever made it across the pond <laughs> the name was probably too long um, <laughs> check out legend of xanadu by dave d dozy beaky mick and titch if you've never listened to it it's an awesome record uh, had a bullwhip on it. Um, yeah, so really, I mean, I think my early stuff, when I was in my teens, it was all kind of prog rock. You know, it was Genesis, Yes, Jethro Tull, Focus, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, which all my peer group were big fans of. And some of the teachers at school, um, you know, at that point, probably in their early 20s, they, they were quite big fans of, of that lot and Pink Floyd and stuff like that. And um, I mean, they were good, you know, they started uh, probably when I was 15, 16, you know, some of the teachers started this music club that we could go to and they play, they bring their LPs in basically and we'd listen to them. Uh, and then they organized trips. So we get, you know, hire a coach and go out for the evening and you know, went to see Jethro Tull, went to see Focus um, while I was still at school. Right. Uh, then, um, yeah, so then I went to university and got exposed to Bob Dylan, who's probably my biggest influence uh, still. Um, but I was second generation, you know, my, when I went to university, it was uh, Blood on the Tracks had just come out. And then while I was there, Desire came out 
which is probably still my favorite Dylan album. Um, Those are my two favorites. Yeah. Oh, good man. So it's not just my age. Excellent. Well, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't that long until I, I started to crawl back through the catalog and, you know, I was into Blood on the Tracks and, and very quickly was listening to Blonde on Blonde and then um, Highway 61 Revisited and bringing it all back home and even made it back. I, I've, I've got a recording somewhere on uh, reel-to-reel tape of me in a studio with a pal of mine doing uh, Highway 61 Revisited in, I don't know, when I was 19 or something like that. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Red- Dreadful, I got, dreadful recording. <laughs> I got tapes of me trying to do rap, Steve. So I think mm. you got me a beat. <laughs> well, my my grandson likes um, rap. No, he doesn't like rapping. That's old school to him. He likes drum and bass and stuff like that. Um, he, I, I hear him singing along, talking along. I'm not sure. The the meter, the rhythm, the 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 speed at which the syllables tumble out and sync with the beat, I just am in awe. I wish, I wish I could do that. Um, wow. You know, I just, I, oof. it's, it's poetry of the highest order. Um, musical, you know, rhythmic. I just, I, I have no clue how to, how do the closest I get is is trying to uh, tackle some of the more challenging Josh Ritter songs where, you know, he says it's rock and roll just with more words. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of blended some of that kind of machine gun uh, speed of delivery with, with a, a kind of a Paul Simon influence. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm rambling I'm reading, now. I'm reading a Paul Simon um, uh, biography. And uh, just the emotional impact of baseball. Wow! On early Paul Simon, how he would listen to all the games on the radio and be devastated for the rest of the day, or be happy for the rest of the day if the Yankees won. You, uh, you do anything else besides? Uh, we didn't know Paul Simon was such a huge baseball fan. What about you? You do anything else besides music? That's uh, Noteworthy. Um, work. I don't know, had a day <laughs> job. Uh, I've just more or less just retired, but um, I now do. Uh, I do training, um, which is uh, yeah, it's kind of entertainment, I think, isn't it? I know there's a there's a, a professor in London um, that I've kind of got a vague connection to who. He, he bemoans the state of higher education. You know, he, he works at this university and he says, you know, the, the days of being a, 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 an academic where you can do research and uh, just focus on, on pure or pure academia is gone. We're now, we're now in the field of edutainment where we're being evaluated on whether our students enjoyed the course. Enjoy the course. They're not there to enjoy the course. They're there to learn. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so training and education is, is much more about entertainment now. Um, yeah, so I, I I'm not uh, not a huge sports fan. I have to say, I've, I've dabbled with soccer, as you would call it, when I was younger. Played a bit of golf, found that a bit boring. Um, yeah, yeah, not a not a huge sports fan. 
but uh, no so uh, reading uh, theater I'm quite quite keen on theater um, yeah all sort of dry things that I like really <laughs> baseball I've never I didn't I've not actually been to a base I did manage to get to um, to see basketball I got to see the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden playing the Detroit Pistons, I think. Yeah. Well, that was, um, was that, uh, that sounds kind of like fun. Well, it's, it's kind of a good thing to go, you know, if you're going to go, I guess that's a good, good place to start, right? That's sort of, you know, that's high level, but, um, yeah, it was amazing. So, so we, we, we had tickets and, um, got a bit held up in the Manhattan traffic. So we were late and I thought, oh, this is terrible. We've missed, you know, the first 20 minutes, half an hour of the game. I hadn't realized that the speed that basketball goes at, we'd actually only missed, missed about two minutes of play. Uh, <laughs> we, we seemed to be there for hours for what was a very short game. And it's just constant timeouts and then people coming out with cannons firing t-shirts into the crowd and then randomly women came onto the court and danced around and then went off again i had no clue what was going on most of the time to be honest um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we got to the end of the match and it was a draw and uh, one of the people sitting next to me said oh you've picked a really good match to come to he said this is going into extra time thinking oh I'm not sure I'm going to live long enough to get through to the end of this game. <laughs> but uh, now we did we did go to um, a sports stadium just to hook it back to music in um, Massachusetts, Foxborough, I think it's called, near Boston. And we went to see Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band, and uh, that was kind of when we first realised the difference between watching a a rock show here in in the uk i'm watching a rock show in america where here it's all very polite and um a bit subdued and everybody's quite british and quiet and we were the, the show hadn't even started we sat down in our seats at the side and the stage was you know set and ready to go and uh people have been there for hours camping and cooking in the trucks and kind of partying for the whole afternoon so um a few people were quite well lubricated by the time the show started and uh, we sat down in the seats and this this guy shirtless guy in shorts kind of made his way from somewhere near the field up towards the back of the stand walked past us uh and kind of caught my eye and he looked me in the eye. he just lifted his hand up and just shouted rock and roll and then walked past and i was like that wouldn't happen in london that just would not happen <laughs> In London, he would have said, excuse me, sorry, did I block your view? I'm terrible. I hope it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, there's something about an atmosphere <laughs> watching a show in the States. Very different. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for coming on. The last thing I want to ask you is um, tell people where to find you. Uh, tell people what you got out. Um, let us know so whoever listens to this can just go straight from this podcast to picking up some Steve McGrady music. Mm, that would be nice. Um, 
Well, uh, there's my website, stevemcgrady.com, uh, which has links to most of the things. And um, other than that, my stuff is on all of the regular digital platforms and um, Bandcamp. Although I don't think we've got the Creative Reader EP on Bandcamp. Uh, we'll, we'll have to figure that one out. But um, yeah, so there's the, 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 the Creative Reader EP's just come out with the three songs on. Uh, that's called Fragile Future. And then November, uh, I released an album called Looking Glass Dreams, which has you and Kerry and uh, Mikey and oh, Heather Newton, who you don't know, and uh, Susie Wall and uh, Nate Ratter on various tracks, which was fun collaborating internationally to produce that. And then uh, if you dig back further in the catalogue, there's singles and EPs and various things and uh, collaborative stuff from the, my past, which you can find elsewhere under different names. And of course, our Dark House Moonlighters collab, which, uh, well, the first Dark House Moonlighters collab, you've got a new one out. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Which you won't find on my thing. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Thank you, Kelly. That was fun. Oh, it, it it's so good talking to friends. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm really, I feel really special that I get to do this. So I'm, I appreciate you coming on and talking to the friendly shadows. And uh, next time you come do a project or, or a project comes out, we'll have to have you back on. That would be great. Thank you very much. Okay, that completes another episode of the Friendly Shadows podcast. We want to thank our guests, Brady Joe and Steve McGrady. And as always, we want to thank Kelly too. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, we'll see you in the shadows. <laughs>